I'm here with Nani De La Pena. Can you tell us about uh, sort of everything you're, you've been up to? How did you get started in VR? And tell me about Emblematic Group. <laughs> sorry. That's a lot. Sorry. sorry, sorry. I shouldn't laugh because it's been, it's been busy. Um, uh, uh, I think the very first thing I, I think I, you know, I was always a big sci-fi reader, very interested. I said it read Gibson and certainly every bit of Neville Stevenson, et cetera, et cetera. But um, uh, ended up building in Second Life uh, a virtual Guantanamo Bay prison. I was interested in this idea of this place where um, that was, you know, legally um, outside any kind of court of law um, and was journalistically important, but was really out of sight and out of mind. And how could we bring um, uh, accessibility to important stories like this? And then after we made that, this is done with an artist named Peggy Weil, um, I got invited into the amazing lab of Mel Slater and Maria Sanchez Vives in uh, Barcelona. And Mel really is one of the most important thinkers in this field. If you don't know his work, you should check out um, how long Mel's been doing really interesting pieces. And we made this uh, crazy uh, embodied experience where we put you in the body of a detainee in a stress position. Mm-hmm. And um, people were just sitting up in a chair and they were wearing a breathing strap and they had their hands behind their backs. But after they experienced a piece where we had a virtual mirror and they showed your body hunched over, everybody thought that, like, we'd say, well, what was your body like? And they'd bend their entire body over into a hunched position. And that's when I was like, whoa, you know, this is an amazing medium to build in. And um, that led to hunger in Los Angeles. Uh, This is during the downturn in the United States. Um, People were going hungry. Food banks were overwhelmed. And yet they're basically invisible. So um, working out of uh, the ICT lab at USC, uh, where at the time uh, Palmer Lucky was like the lab intern, uh, I made this uh, experience that put you on scene at a real food bank. It was all digitally recreated, but the audio was real. And you became a witness uh, when a man with diabetes who doesn't get food in time drops into a diabetic coma in front of you. Uh, it got into Sundance. And at that point, the headsets were $50,000 a pop. And the head of the lab, uh, Mark Bullis, was said, you know, you can't take any of those headsets with you. And Palmer was there building headsets. Um, so we showed up with this crazy duct tape pair of goggles. Uh, Palmer was crashed in my hotel room and drove the truck back for us. Um, and that was the first VRP server at Sundance. Um, and then what year was that? 2012. So right before. And nine months later, Palmer started Oculus. Wow. And that's my back quick, quick rundown on the background. And since then, go ahead, ask a question and I'll, I'll well, uh, did, did, was, one of the journalism-based projects that I tried uh, was uh, showed a um, showed a someone coming out to their family um, uh-huh. in a living room. Was that an emblematic group project? That was an emblematic group project. Yeah, um, and that was really powerful. And it's it's one of these things that it, it affected me so deeply to to have that experience. But it's also just how how do we get the audience larger for these projects because we talked about it a little bit in the other part of the show, but um, the game store, you know, this Oculus store is built to promote games and steam store is built to promote uh, flat screen games most. And then VR games second, what can be done to get more eyeballs in front of this work? 
So this is why I uh, have got a very beta but um, prototype called Reach.Love. Um, and the idea with Reach was we built a very simple button-based volumetric creation tool in WebXR. Um, we built it on top of A-Frame and um, you know JavaScript, and it lets people make volumetric content. Um, you can easily pull in GLTF files from Sketchfab, and then you can just publish it as a URL. And, and it's embeddable just like a YouTube video, but it's volumetric. You can move through it. You can either use your keyboard, flat screen. You can uh, click a button and start walking around with any headset, um, or you can watch it on your phone. And the idea was I was so sick of not only this just exact distribution problem that you were talking about, but also the limitation. Like when I put up a piece on Syrian refugees on Steam, I got so much vitriolic hate sent at me. Um, that was the last time that I started posting personal stuff on Facebook because I got so much, you know, Gamergate like crap thrown at me for making journalism pieces. Um, that said, I do have projects up on Steam um, uh, and Share, but but um, and we did make three sixty versions of the volumetric content, um, uh, including the pieces I did with. Front, uh, PBS Frontline and Nova, two big journalism organizations. But did you? We, we have to solve this work, problem. Go ahead. Did sorry. you work with Frontline on the um, the guidelines uh, for journalism in VR? Yes, we did. Um, well, can you can you explain some of those? Yeah. So we tried to look at some of the best practices for thinking about um, uh, approaches to content creation that's digital content content creation but still upholds some of the uh best practices that we've learned uh journalistically through the years right and what are some of the limits of recreation but I, in some ways that document um to me uh still uh, offers some very interesting questions we haven't solved so here's an example we did a piece with nasa scientists uh, for a climate change piece and we shot the characters on an 8i green screen stage. Uh, most of the rest of the content was photogrammetry, so very photoreal and based on scene. But um, uh, in this case, uh, we put you inside a NASA airplane, and the NASA scientist wanted to wear his blue airplane jumpsuit. And for there's a big discussion about whether that was okay or not, because if you go into the NASA uh, plane, you think that he's in his plane flying in his airplane, but no, he's been filmed in a studio in Los Angeles. Shouldn't he be wearing regular clothing? And the scientist was like, there's no way I'm going to appear in my airplane, not in my jumpsuit. And we're like, but you're not actually in your airplane. And so that moment was kind of interesting. He won. We put him in his jumpsuit. So, I mean, I, 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 this, this discussion is so uh, near and dear to my heart because it's so tough. Um, because we're kind of we're writing for the consumers out there, the people who are actually buying these headsets. We're we're trying to answer their questions. The people who are actually in there, uh, being some of the first to ever buy these headsets and spend hundreds of hours in them, and we're trying to answer their questions and also give them what they need and what they want. You know, it's a, it's a mix of giving both. And uh, sometimes we try to be entertaining too, uh, right. you know, amidst all those things. And it's an always constantly challenging balance. And especially with the journalism projects, I, I spent some of that um, 
some of our previous discussion talking about Titans of Space and why it comes with my highest recommendation for, for VR software I can ever give. But we still hear from these people who, like you say, just comment and, you know, there's a real failure on a lot of platforms parts to foster useful discussion and to help uh, weed through bad actors and keep people who are just uh, haven't made their true motivations known and, and they're actually acting in some hidden fashion. And I, like you I don't know what the answer is, but we're, we, I, I think so thankful for you to join us today and talk about these things. But is there anything, I guess I'll ask you this, is there anything that we can do as journalists covering this industry to do a better job of, highlighting the good work in VR, the things that are going to keep this from becoming the dystopia that we all sometimes joke about, but, you know, often fear. I think this is a very um, important question. And I think that where we once thought it was great to open up everything to anybody to make comments, um, uh, we now know that unfortunately we do have to do some sort of um, curation. Um, that doesn't mean that you're going to, um, shouldn't be allowed some negative commentary on, um, uh, you know, people's opinions about a piece of content, but vitriolic, uh, uh, co- uh comments are pretty easy to spot. I think we, we definitely have, a um, a common sense, uh, uh, space and people can always publish on other, in other ways. Right. Um, but you know, it's it's a it, we do live in this moment where somebody like Kurt Eichenwald, who is a journalist and has epilepsy, could get sent in Twitter um, a response that actually triggered his epilepsy and he fell and he was injured, and the man who did that just lost his court case and has to pay some damage to him. At the same time, basically the same day, uh, a similar message was sent to um, the American Epileptic Association's bunch of people were now affected. Mm-hmm. So we have to, we have to, unfortunately, that's like a real, that is a, that's a snow crash. Yep. You know, software, it's, it's scary. It, it's, it's terrifying. It, yeah. It's, it's like a, it's a manifestation that's sort of described. That's what makes snow crash pretty interesting. Um, that's, that's a literally sending code that can affect people. So, um, I know it seems a little bit of an aside, but it does mean that we have a responsibility as journalists to unfortunately be on the front lines to try to um, uh, raise the conversation to uh, a more elevated and more um, uh, uh, civilized conversation. It's So one of the most complicated situations that, that we were dealing with right now is um facebook employing this uh real identity policy on its social network so they have it <clears throat> built right into their terms of service that you need to use the real name you use in everyday life with uh with their service including now quest and you know oculus headsets the problem is we've seen it in our comments and in our response that people are very seriously considering setting up fake Facebook accounts in order to get into uh, these headsets without letting Facebook suck down all their information and target ads to them and uh, 
learn more about people than maybe people know about themselves in some cases. Mm-hmm. That's ultimately the fear of some of these platforms. Um, I guess I'll I put that. So right now I'm, I'm using Oculus avatars, their current avatar system. Right. And I have people that I would love to have come on to our show who will not allow Facebook software in their home, who just refuse to use it. And I, I both understand and I understand that perspective but uh, obviously, we're using Oculus hardware. We're using Oculus software to do this show. There's a balance here where we're trying to reach people out there and give them what they, like I said, need, want to know. Um, but I, I never know where to draw the line, right? The, 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 to journalists and to people who are trying to moderate these communities and keep bad actors off. It's never clear what ethical guidelines should be followed to, you know, allow that type of discussion or not allow this type of discussion. And um. So I was on a commission uh, this last year that was funded by the Knight Foundation and the Aspen uh, Institute on Trust, Media and Democracy. And you're actually raising the same kind of questions we grappled with. And we had folks from Google and from Facebook uh, on this incredible, with this incredible a uh, group of academics and thinkers and lawyers, et cetera. I mean, I, you know, I felt more of a observer in, in many ways, but um, uh, cause I, I, I'm not sure that what I was uh, yet offering was enough in the culture for people to really understand its implications. But um, uh, as we both know, this is the future. We know this is the future. We know people are going to be interacting this way. They're going to come together in spaces. Um, uh, I, I really wish on that commission that we had also invited Mozilla. Um, I think that the work that Mozilla is trying to do to offer privacy spaces, and they have some very, um, you know, they picked up some of the alt space folks uh, when that company went bankrupt. Microsoft picked up some, but Mozilla picked up others. Um, so I think these questions that you're asking are going to get played out in a bigger way. And I think that um, that you're going to have Mozilla, Microsoft, Facebook all entering this space um, and it may, you know, in my, in my dream world um, that it will be a self-correcting problem because uh, if Mozilla is able to enter it in a way that offers privacy, I think Facebook is still going to want us to be, you know, in their platform as well. And they might have to issue some retreats on, uh, on uh, demands of, on your information. Mm. Um, uh, they might have to be a, a different kind of player in this space. I mean, certainly Facebook's under a lot of pressure for um, its approach on on uh, on uh, um, you know fake ads, et cetera, et cetera. Interesting. Um, yeah, Mozilla is is definitely a company that has been doing incredible things there, both to socially connect people and um, again, it's tough where uh, their web web VR web XR that you're, you're that the delivery system we've talked about being able to get to such a wide range of people also lags in many ways what's capable with an embedded native system. So, right. and it, it becomes um, the stuff that we love so much about VR, the, the true immersion, um, really high fidelity experiences don't actually reach as far as we'd like them to because of, of various pipeline problems. Um, uh, it's, it's hard for journalism to stand out on, 
uh, Oculus's platform, like I was saying earlier, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Steam's platform. Um, we've got a, you know, it's we, we've got a project we were looking at recently that uh, is set in Hong Kong, um, and uh, it's sort of letting you see what it's like to be a protester uh, in Hong Kong getting uh, tear gas uh, canisters launched at you, and. Uh, I don't think the project has been approved by for release on Steam. It's just not available on Steam. And the people, uh, you know, it's one of those things where we have to hear from the developer, why was your app rejected? What communication did you have with the platform holder? Um, let us know what that communication is like so that we can uh, report about this accurately and understand the reasons why the platform uh, is not letting you onto their onto their platform. Um, I think Steam uh, once posted a blog post at one point saying that they're more or less their their um, the ethics of why they won't publish something on Steam is if it's outright trolling or bad business. I think that was more or less the way Steam explained its position. And I guess I just don't know. Um, well, we had we've had hiccups over the years publishing on Steam. We have published on Steam. Pretty almost, I think all of our pieces are available on Steam. I think now, um, but things like um, one of the I know this is a dumb hiccup for us, but the fact that you have to cut a two D video to to show what your work is about, and I know that shouldn't be a hang up, but if it's like, oh, you you know, I've got a volumetric piece. Why do I have to put something flat on your website <laughs> to show what it is? And also, I'm an artist, so I have a really high standard. That means that I can't just put up any shitty trailer. So I've got to take the time to cut a 2D trailer that looks good. Oh, I've got to go. It's a lot of work. work at the end of your project, and you just want to make the project better. You don't want and, to be promoting the project necessarily. And then we've had some really weird glitches. I wish I could, you know, uh, turn, I'm here in the, in my office. Most of my people arrive later than I do, um, uh, here. And I wish I could turn to somebody and say, what was that? Why are we having so much trouble on, on, there were weird glitches that were coming up and they weren't necessarily, um, uh, there were just sort of file format type of glitches. They weren't necessarily anything political. Um, uh, but, um, Hopefully that's all that they're facing. Um, Let me ask. Let me work, work, work the question this way: Do you think there's uh, legal changes that can help the situation? Um, help uh, clean up online discussion, and so that uh, bad actors aren't more. I, I think about the real name policy in particular here, where people are being encouraged to set up fake accounts on Facebook specifically to protect themselves and. I don't understand, like, so let me take a step back. I've had a discussion with one of the teams at Facebook that's developing the hyper-realistic avatars. Right. And uh, I put this question to them is, do you think future headsets will authenticate the user? And the answer I got back was... More or less, I yes, uh, it was more or less going to be li- very likely. It just they they didn't say it in those terms. They didn't give me quite uh you know a, as I've summarized it here, so quite such a clear answer. But in the future, it seems very likely that you're going to put this headset on and it's going to verify 
who you are. And I, I don't know uh, if that's put these, necessarily put these, the right solution. Put these glasses on, you mean. I mean, it won't even be yeah, a glasses, headset. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be that light. So, you know, I know that at the airport, I'm the first person to be happy because I have to travel so much to use clear and um, be able to just use my eye to track and get my boarding pass and get on my plane. Um, we know that in, in China, that's a very, very common thing to do. So, um, but, you know, as long as there's been ability to track people, there's been technologies developed to evade tracking. So mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's going to be some sort of special contact lenses or da, 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 da. I, I you know, we're going to, we're, this is going to be a tug and a pull forever. And it's a really tough question because on one hand, um, we don't want Facebook sucking up or even worse than sucking up my data, I think, delivering me uh, content that's going to uh, affect the way I think about the world and which can have a very literally a detrimental um, consequence um, that we've seen, obviously. But um, uh, there's that with um, the sense of like the ease in which getting um, uh, eye tracking, what it lets me do. So, you know, I have a pair of the Bose AR uh, glasses and um, I wouldn't fix them, you know, so that I could have my real lenses in them. And I love them. I love them. I love not searching for my headset and my pieces and making sure they're not lost or where they are or, you know, my all my glasses, where my glasses, where's my, you know, audio. Where's my... So that convenience is definitely going to happen. And then what does that mean for, for, for tracking? So is there a different approach? I ask you, Ian, is there something else we could do to try to create more kindness among each other so that, what we're talking about is more of a social shift. Uh, we, it's it's a wonderful question. I mean, I, we've got our platform, and we try to encourage positive discussion that helps other people with that discussion. And when people are um, hurting other people, we're going to cover that too. Um, it's. You know, it's that's what, you know, journalists cover truth. And I think the manipulation of truth and the manipulation of perception is the reason I focus on this work. Right. And, uh, you know, I I talk about these headsets like it's very hard not to get very meta here. But like um, if I point my eyes to the edges of these lenses, uh, the I see the fixed foveated rendering that they're using to lower the resolution. So. In a very subtle way, these headsets are encouraging me to look directly ahead. Um, you know, when the field of view gets bigger, maybe that starts to go away a little bit over time. And uh, when they start are able to actually eye track and, and do all those things. But um, it becomes, I'm trying to let the people out there know about all of these subtle ways that their perception is being affected by the hardware itself. And uh, then there's the software questions and the things that could be slipped into software or the way software can also manipulate perception and uh, the way we think. And it's it's a tough it is it's an ongoing battle where I, I hope to have you on in the future as we as we try to to unfold this stuff for people Unpack and let people I saw, know. I saw this really interesting. This is a long time ago. And it was a 
uh, uh, Yale Law School professor, and he was discussing the rights of your avatar. So mm-hmm. there you are, the representation of Ian that you have. What are the rights of that avatar? Um, and will that also uh, provide us with some relief from some of the tracking? Mm. Do you have Do you have a right? Can Can we, since we know what online privacy disruption looks like now, or tracking, can we, before all of us have a virtual self, maybe so, make some legal, uh, uh, you know, whatever you get it, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So Chris is asking, um, and this is one of the questions I I wanted to get to was. Uh, is there a list that people can find or a URL you can point to of all the experiences uh, that you've worked on? What, Where would you direct people to find emblematic group work? So I would go to emblematicgroup.com. And then once you're able to go to the um, uh, uh, our website, is almost fully up to date, I hope. But once you go through that, you can look through our, um, our experiences. And then um, most of them are available either on Steam um, or just email us. And that's sort of dumb, right? Because we don't really have a proper VR uh, uh, journalism um, organization. I tried to raise money for that for years. Um, uh, and I've just kept going and kept making pieces, working on a super interesting piece about Lyme disease right now. Um, and uh, so we're not really at a point where I can say, and here's our journalism organization, and here's where everything is. Um, we've had to go ahead and, and put stuff up more um, up on Steam than on Oculus because at the at most of our early pieces are sixed off. In fact, the vast majority of my work is sixed off. So um, an Oculus share wasn't as friendly to sixed off initially. We've we've dropped the, the the link for emblematicgroup.com into the chat, so that there you can find a lot of Nani's work. Um, and if you and if you want to play with uh, Reach.Love, it is very I would say beta, you know, alpha plus beta minus. But you can sign up and start playing at beta.reach.love. You can clone an environment from the beginning, or with Sketchfab, just make sure you download it as a GLTF. Use a, a and just. Uh, upload into reach uh, the zip file don't unzip it and have some fun we also got a link to that in our uh, chat what, what do you have coming up in the next year what does the next year look like for you so i mentioned um earlier we're wrapping up a piece a really really powerful piece about a teenage boy who was taken from his home in san gabriel california and brought to a japanese american concentration camp in wyoming at heart mountain in the 1940s and he did this incredible diary full of the most beautiful humanistic thinking and he was an artist so we're using his diary where we've taken his drawings and um uh, I've had I've had an incredible artist working in my office, uh, Haley Tomasic, whose grandfather was in one of the camps, and she's animated all of his drawings into these quill pieces. So we're just completing that. It'll for sure launch uh, at uh, the Japanese American National Museum at the end of April, and we're hoping uh, for a release uh, at one of the festivals. Um, and I'm working on a really interesting project about. Uh, Lyme disease and man, I'm, you know, I don't want to get into this, but if you're interested in, in science stuff and check out biofilms, biofilms are really crazy interesting. And I'm, uh, I, we've been modeling spirochetes and, and looking at, um, a, a, a recent autopsy that might've offers us a really major clue about why some people get chronic Lyme disease. Um, and I'm taking that, 
uh, person whose autopsy it is, and we found her original story, and it's really powerful. So I'm going to mm-hmm. be telling the story of this woman who's, who died, but who actually may uh, be able to offer the clue for, for any other Lyme sufferers. <laughs> and the final thing that I'm raising money for now um, uh, is kind of incredible. I introduced the filmmaker, Alejandro Gonzalez Inaritu, you know, um, I think people say Inaritu, uh, uh, to VR and um, worked with him on his piece, Carne Arena. But now he's agreed to work with me on a piece I want to do on a remake of a 1928 black and white film that established the art of the close-up. It was called The Passion of Joan of Arc. And the script is out of copyright. And I'm, um, I've raised already a little bit of money and now I'm raising some more money on remaking that film in virtual reality. Wow, that sounds fascinating. I can't wait to see these. Um, thank you so much for joining me. And I, this has been a pleasure. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you so much, everybody. And I really appreciate you guys being interested in, and taking the time to listen to, to these very complex issues and some really very – last note I just want to say is that, like Ian, I am so bullish on this medium – um, I think it is definitely, it's as, I can see it as a future as much as I can see my virtual hand in front of me. <laughs> and um, uh, I'm really excited that, that you guys uh, continue to, to, to be one of the best um, uh, spaces to learn about all the new stuff going on. Thank you. It means a lot. And we're going to do our best to make sure that these conversations aren't oversimplified and they're not, you know, they're easily accessible by a wide range of people. It's it's not easy, and we're going to keep at it. So thank you so much for joining us, and thanks for tuning into the VR Download. Uh, check out UploadVR.com, and we'll be back next week. Right.